a woman named Jezebel. She was not a Israelite. She's married to an Israelite man who was the king of Israel, which made her to be the queen of Israel. And she was a Zidonian. She was another nationality and pagan. And she had all kinds of gods. She had gods of the groves and she worshiped Baal. And she was a woman who would make herself up with all the painting and stuff. They had all that back then, you know, all that makeup stuff. Thing. And uh, she'd make herself up, try to look real pretty and all that kind of stuff. But the Jewish women never did that. They never did that. And uh, that carried right on down into the New Testament. The New Testament church never did that. So the Pentecostal movement adopted that. For our women, they don't wear makeup. So when I say to you, this, we're the most beautiful people in the world, especially our ladies, they don't do all that you know, stuff in their faces and all their lipstick and all. I'm serious. That stuff all came in the Bible from paganism, you know. I mean, in the Bible, it, it was the paganism. So uh, thank God. God love you. God's people are the best people on the earth. Amen. The men in the Pentecostal movement are the finest. They're the finest. And it's my privilege and has been my privilege for years just to rub shoulders with the people of God. To be with them, to be in fellowship with you, to be around you, to uh, feel your love, grace, and your goodness in all things. Praise God. And I want to just talk to you here today about a subject that the Bible that we've gone into, and this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is the chapter on what is called charity. And the word charity here means to us in modern times, it means being liberal in giving, you know, to other needs and so forth, being charitable. Charity like giving to people who have needs or giving to whatever, you know, church, march of dimes, or not the church so much as uh, giving to, you know, march of dimes, all those kind of things. But the basic word of charity is the love of God. That's the word, that's the meaning of the word, love of God. So that the love of God is what makes people be a giver. And that's what that really comes from. I want you to look with me the last verse. The last verse in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to start with this verse of scripture. It says, but, the, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And the reason he says this is because this is what we've been studying in the uh, 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, which is the gifts. And uh, in, from verse 8 through verse 10 those nine spiritual gifts are named. We've covered all of them, talked about them. We're not going to go any further into that. The last one mentioned is, the last two is the gift of tongues and interpretation. Uh, distinguished, different from that of tongues as the evidence of the Holy Ghost. And also as a devotional tongue. A lot of times we just worship God and the Bible talks about it, even over in the 14th chapter, how that, that is worshiping in the spirit. You speak in tongues. But... Uh, Paul goes on to say that in our blessings of the Spirit of God in us and devotional tongues, the gift of tongues sometimes in operation when somebody gives a message and then there's the interpretation to the message. Uh, when all those things happen and maybe somebody even receiving the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, when these things happen, this is not to be a thing that we are to just play in or relish in. You know, if you know what I'm talking about, it's not something we just uh, toy with. But he goes on to talk about how that we need to really understand that the Spirit of God 
there's a greater depth than even the gifts of the Spirit. If you were to look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It names, names nine of the fruit of the Spirit. It talks about kindness and love and mercy, but love is mentioned there as well. Love is probably the greatest of all the fruit of the Spirit. It is the thing that God has given to humanity that makes them a notch above all other religions and beliefs and lifestyles on the, on the earth among men. And that's that love of God that God passed along to us and that we are always to manifest. Uh, he said in one place, I'll get more into this in just a moment, but he said to his disciples, he said, this shall all men know that you are my disciple if you have love one for another. And that's why Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who despitefully use you. In the flesh, that's hard to do. And in our carnal spirit, we say, what? You know, I don't feel like loving my enemy. I don't feel like praying for my, oh, I'll pray for the guy that, pers- you know, that despitefully used me. I'll pray for him, all right. I'll pray that God send fire, hellfire and brimstone down on him. But that's, that's not what it's talking about. It's talk, pray that he might be saved and that he may have the spirit of God in him just like you do. And he would become your brother in the Lord and understand the great and power of the love of God. So I'm going to read then uh, this last verse here in, in chapter 12. But covet earnestly the best gifts. Now he's winding up this whole subject of, of the gifts that he gave, the nine spiritual gifts that we've already talked about. And yet show unto you a more excellent way. Notice that phrase. If you've got a pen, underline that. Yet I show unto you a more excellent way. So that if you don't have any of those spiritual gifts, yet, praise God, you can have the love of God in your heart and life and be an outstanding Christian and you can win people to the Lord and your light will shine and people can be saved by the life they see in you, the light they see in you and the life they see in you. And now it goes right into the 13th chapter here and here's what Paul is going to show them in a more excellent way. Chapter, one, chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, he's talking about speaking in tongues here now, and have not charity, I am becoming as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Now the word charity comes from the word agape, agape, A-G-A-P-E. And it is a Greek word meaning the love of God, from God, uh, to, to us, and through us to, to mankind. It's the, it's the love of God in us that is the power behind all the love that's in our lives for all relationships and associations that we have in our lives. Uh, the Greek language has another word for the love of a man for his wife, for instance. There's another love that uh, is there for, uh, for family. Uh, there, you know, not only your children, but also your brothers and sisters and your mother and dad and so forth. There's a different word that the Greeks use for the love in that fashion. And then there is a love that's used in the Greek language that's different even from those two that implies love for our, for our fellow man, praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, Jesus said, this is the second commandment, love, love your neighbor as yourself, meaning that just as you would have men to do to you, you do to them as well. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So God's love, of course, always proceeds. So this love of God in us gives us a love in our hearts that will amplify 
and make better the love in our lives for everything else. I want you to look with me, if you would, in, I think it's in the book of Romans, uh, Romans uh, 5, 5. And that's an easy verse to remember, but it's a powerful verse. Look in Romans 5, 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So when God gives us the Holy Spirit, I mean, just call it the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, same word. When he gives us the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit inside of us, and we have that Holy Spirit of God inside of us, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts which means that he gives us the power to be able to do the things that he has asked us to do. If a man smites you on one cheek, turn to him the other cheek. What? That's against all flesh. That's against, carnal- that's, that's against carnality. But the love of God in our hearts can enable us to do things like that. And that's not just that, but it's in a lot of other things. When just people do you wrong, you just pray for them and you go on and you say, God, it's all in your hands. And that's a difficult thing to do sometimes, but that's the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. The love of God by the Holy Ghost in your lives will give you a better marriage, give you a better marriage. Now, you still have to work on the marriage. There has to be love in a marriage. But, but husbands and wives can work out things. There's times you do have to work out things. You've got to, you know, you say, oh, honey, I'm sorry, uh, you know, and sometimes just you kneel down to pray together. But if both have the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is a great, great asset in that. And everybody has their share of ups and downs and difficulties along the way. And so if, if you had got yours, don't think everybody else in the church is just hunky-dory. It's not everybody's got their ups and downs. But the Holy Ghost helps us, even in our marriages, to get along and so forth, you know. This coming February, my wife and I will be celebrating our 63rd wedding anniversary. And so, yeah, that's in February. And I only say that because, you know, along the way, you know, we've had some tough, difficult times, man. We've been, uh, we've been so poor that you had to reach up, touch bottom, you know, low. Uh, uh, you know, we've gone through everything you can imagine, tough times. We've gone out and evangelized, preached here and there. And, and uh, you know, and I've told you the story about us walking home uh, from a grocery store one time. We had two bags of groceries. We were able to buy two bags of groceries, and we were as happy as kids walking through the snow in South Bend, Indiana, kicking, kicking the snow and laughing and just as happy as two young people could be. And she was expecting my daughter at the time. And here we were and walking through the snow, laughing about it all and as happy as we could be and poor as we could be, you know, but we had two bags of groceries. I'm just saying here that God can give us love for all of these things. Amen. So I'm just trying to tell you here to folks that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Another scripture that is found also in the scriptures I'm going to read to you, found in John 17, 26. It's the last verse in the uh, 17th chapter of St. John, and it is the conclusion of Jesus' prayer after the Lord's Supper, before they had gotten up and gone over to Gethsemane. Uh, this is what he said. The very last verse is the ending of the prayer. And he says, and I have declared, he's, he's praying now to God, Jesus. He says, and I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. I in them meaning by his spirit. So he said, just as I am with you, I shall be in you. 
So all of these things, of course, by the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost gives us a powerful and a wonderful love for God. Now, I'm going to move a little further into our discussion here because I want to talk about the characteristics, the characteristics here of the uh, of, of agape or the characteristics of the love of God. And I'll just use the word love of God here, even though the word the Bible here says charity. Uh, look, it says here, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am becoming a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. In other words, I can have gifts and I can speak in tongues, but if I don't have this love of God manifesting from me, all of that is shallow and is perceived as being shallow. And so he just tells us that that love of God is going to be the biggest factor in our lives. And he goes on to say in verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy, now he starts naming gifts. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. You're talking about the word of, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. That's one of the, these are two spiritual gifts that he mentions in chapter 12. And though I have all faith, that's another gift that's mentioned in chapter 12. So that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. So Paul is putting a great emphasis on the subject of the love of God in our lives. Can I just say something to all of us here today, folks? This is such a characteristic of Christianity, true Christianity, and is the most powerful thing that we have in Christianity. You see, there are other religions that try to manifest it, but they don't have that. Uh, the, the Muslim faith is built on fear. It was started out that way. They drew the sword. They went forth conquering. The Muslim, I'm talking about Mohammed. He went forth and conquering. His, his, you can read all about it. It's all in history. In 600, and I think he became official religion there in Saudi Arabia in, 16, in, uh, in, in 623 A.D. But uh, he began to try to conquer the world with the sword. And if you were a different religion, you could remain in their domain and in their country, but you did not have the privileges that the Muslims had. Uh, in other words, they had, you had to pay more taxes if you were not a Muslim. Uh, you would sometimes not be able to get food where they could get food. It was just a, a privileged position they had. So people would begin to graduate, finally became Muslims so they could have all the privileges that came with it and so forth. So I'm just pointing out to you that that was their style. It is still strange to the, to, to the Islam and to the Muslim world when they come in contact with real Christianity. It, it is, it's a powerful. I've read books and writings by some of these people, and they said that when he came in contact with Christianity, they felt like that the love of God was all a farce. It was a front. It was, a, it was not true. But when they found out it was real and it was true, they could not hardly believe it. You mean people really love you that much? And it was a very persuasive thing for them. And it's still a persuasive thing. This is how a lot of our missionaries work in these Muslim countries is through Jesus Christ being a God of love and being one of love. So I'm just telling you here, this is a great factor and a mighty factor. And this is why Paul talks about it. I'm going to move on a little further here. So he goes on to say here, uh, verse 4. I'm going to read verse 4. Uh, Verse 3, I mean, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. In other words, I can do all of these good deeds, but if I don't have that love of God in my heart, and I have the love of God in my heart for other people, 
love in my heart, first of all, for God. God, I love you with all my heart. And then you love your family, you love your children, you love your wife, you love your brothers and sisters. And let me just say this, the church family is our family, praise the Lord. And you're some of the best people on the face of the earth. And I, I'm not just being bragging on you, but this is how I feel about the church of the living God and being part of it. And, of course, our love for our fellow man, anybody that, you know, that's why some of you, you help somebody on the street, somebody you don't even know, you help them out because the love of God is in our hearts, you know, and so forth. I'm going to move on here. And it goes on to say here, uh, verse 4, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. It does not want what somebody else has. It doesn't envy something else somebody else has got. It says suffereth long means that it's, uh, it just puts up with a lot of things. You know, suffereth long meaning that uh, it's tolerant and is kind. And charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Vaunteth not itself. It's not reckless. Uh, it doesn't, it's not rash. So it doesn't vaunt itself. It, it vaunteth not itself. Now I'm going to read the next one here to you. And I'm going to talk to you about it a little bit. And I want you to put on your seatbelts. Everybody got your seatbelts on? Never hold on tight to your bonnet. Amen. But I want you to listen to what I'm going to tell you here in a moment. Look at the next one in verse 5. Doth not behave itself unseemly. You see that? Doth not behave itself unseemly. The love of God, which is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, and is a characteristic of the Holy Ghost, the characteristic of the Spirit of God in us, does not act weird. It does not act unnatural. I'm serious. I mean, the Bible is, is, is saying that here. Uh, it just doesn't act in all of these kind of ways that sometimes uh, we hear about things like this. I'm going to give you some other verses as well here. Uh, it's, uh, it's, not, um, it's not absurd. Uh, look in 1 Corinthians 14.33. You're in 13. Look in 14.33 for a moment. You know, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be, be established. So over here it says, does not behave itself unseemly. Now look over here in 1433. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. Okay? It's not the author of confusion. Look at verse 40. I'm going on to 40. This is 1440. Let all things be done decently and in order. And the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. I've given you three verses here, right here, right here together, about how that the love of God, which is in our hearts by the Spirit of God, and that the Spirit of God does not act crazy. I'm serious. I'm giving you the word of God. If anybody has a problem with this, you have a problem with the word. I'm just giving you the word. It doesn't act crazy. Uh, it says in this 40th verse, let all things be done decently and in order. I'm going to back up here to verse 26, just for an example here. How is it then, brethren, that when you come together, that one of you has uh, a psalm, hath the doctrine, hath the tongue, hath the revelation, 
hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. That is, lifting up God, lifting up the Spirit of God, the things of the Lord, and so forth. Here's another verse. I've given you four. Let me give you a fifth one. Look at, um, I'm still right here in 1 Corinthians. I haven't even gotten out of 1 Corinthians in this area here, 13, 14. Look in the 14th chapter, look at verse 23. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, everybody's just talking in tongues, talking in tongues, talking in tongues. They look at each other talking, talking, and talking in tongues. Paul is saying this. And yet for all that will they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Wait a minute. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the wrong verse. And all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers. Will they not say that ye are mad? So here's another scripture where that Paul is saying it is important that people who are not of the faith should come into the service and they won't think we're crazy. I don't want to step on no, I'm not talking about talking on any toad, but I'm just saying we're talking Bible here. It doesn't behave itself unseemly, it's not unnatural, it's not crazy, it's not weird. But the Holy Ghost in us and the love of God in us doesn't do weird, crazy, wild Wow, wow, you know, wow, wow, west stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right. So I think I've said enough. I'm going to move on here. But I'm just saying here that I think we should hold, heed the word of God. And I'm going to say this to anybody that has a problem with that. Go to the word. Don't talk to me. Go to the word. It's right in here. Just read it. Praise God. And that's Bishop Myers talking here. Okay. Praise God. <laughs> I'm going to finish reading this fifth verse because it's got some good things here. Doth not behave yourself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Seeketh not his own. It's all not always about self. Is not easily provoked. Doesn't get mad easy. This is, you know, what the Spirit of God in us and the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts by that Spirit. It doesn't, it doesn't get mad easily. It thinketh no evil, doesn't go around always thinking evil, bad, weird things, and all that kind of stuff. Anybody that lives in that kind of a category, eventually they're going to do something bad, evil. Verse 6, rejoiceth not, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Verse 7, beareth all things, that means you put up with all things. It believeth all things, all things that is of God. You don't believe everything that's out there. You know, I don't believe in evolution. I don't, you know, I don't believe there's men on Mars and all that kind of stuff, you know, some distant planet. You know, that's all man-made stuff. There's no proof of none of that stuff. There's no proof of evolution. Folks, evolution, there's no evolution. They say they evolved. Everything evolved from a... a that, that's like saying that, that things will just improve on its own. When you see... When you see the progress of a species, it's built in there by God already. You know, you can take a plant, you can take an animal, you can take a bug, an insect. The, 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 uh, the ability to exist and to procreate and, and, and continue their species is all built in. And God gives them that common sense. You take a little bird, he's got a little head that big, a little big as an, uh, big as an acre. Little old bird, little old brain, little head and bigger naked. And then that's a little old brain bigger and smaller than that. And that little old brain is enough for him to know to take care. Let's say it's a, it's a hen or, or a female. To take care of her or young. To sit on that nest until they hatch. 
I still can I still don't know how chickens know how long to sit on a nest and which ones to sit on. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just ignorant. But they know that stuff. And they got a little old head like that, and it's all in their head. And, and they got this common sense, and, and then they know how to take care of those chickens. I saw some ducks one time. So I saw this guy, I was with this guy out on the farm, and he says, I got some ducks just hatched, just hatched. Says, Watch this. And he opened a pen. And those baby ducks with no mother duck in there, because they should already been taken out, just a bunch of baby ducks, all left that pen and went down the hill into a pond and lake and began to swim out. I said, how do they know to do that? He said, it's in them. You tell me how they, they were just hatched and they knew to go to that lake and they knew they weren't going to drown again and say, oh, I can't swim, I can't swim. They, they didn't even think about that. I'm saying it's in there because God put it in there. It's not something that's in the, you know, that they has evolved, evolved, evolved. God put it all there in the very beginning when he made all things. And he, he even pronounced that they're going to, you know, they will produce their own and so forth. So, well, let me move on here. I'm just saying here that the scripture here in verse 7, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. It never fails. Look at verse 8 now. It never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Everybody with me on this? Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, there's a religious group that says that tongues is not for today because it all ceased way back there at the end of the early church. It didn't, in other words, it stopped. And you ask them, when did it stop? They said, when the Bible was written, fully written, and we had the complete word of God, then all these gifts all ceased. Well, he came too late to tell me. He came too late to tell me because I have seen the working and the speaking in tongues, and I've experienced it myself, as you have, and I've seen some marvelous things come out of it. Brother Abernathy was here just last week, you know, and I told you this, that he, he witnessed, you know, more than one time in Africa, here back in the bush country when people were just tribal people, uh, that they went back to minister to and to establish churches and things. He'd hear them get the Holy Ghost and speak in, a, in English. Sometimes it was English English. Sometimes it was American dialect English. You know, you know what I'm saying? He said, I've heard that. And we had a woman in our other, oh, the church before we moved here. We've been here now, what? I don't know what. 20 years, 20 some odd years. But in the other church that we're in, there was a Haitian woman that did not know English that received the Holy Ghost at our altar. And begin to speak in English as she received the Holy Ghost. And I thought she was just worshiping in English. I thought she had been praying in, a, you know, something. And then all of a sudden she began to worship in, in English. And this other sister in our church, I, and she, she ran up on the platform and said, Brother Myers, this lady is Haitian. I'm Haitian. She's Haitian. I'm, I brought her to church. She doesn't know English. She's speaking in English. She doesn't know English. And I realized then she was talking in tongues. It was tongues to her, but it was, it was just our language. You understand what I'm saying? Hey, if you tell me it's not for us today, you come too late to tell me. I've, I know too much. You know. St. Paul, Minnesota, I heard a guy said, a girl from Louisiana received the Holy Ghost, speaking in, in Eskimo language. And I was sitting on the front pew like this, watching. I'd been praying, and I'd sit back watching. People had been praying, and this girl prayed through. They got the Holy Ghost, and was just, just speaking in tongues and praying from Louisiana. 
So this guy comes down the aisle and sits down beside me. He said, how long has this girl been out of the Eskimo country? I said, I don't think she's, I was a, a young guy in school. I said, I don't think she'd ever been in the Eskimo country. I think this is far, farther north than she's ever been in her life. She's Louisiana. Oh, no, 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 no. She is speaking fluent Eskimo right now, speaking fluent Eskimo and everything. And I, to me, she's talking in tongue. He said, she's speaking fluent because I lived up there for years. I know the language. She's speaking fluent Eskimo. I said, what's she saying? He said, she's worshiping God, praising God, saying God is this. God is very great. You know, he gave us the word. I said, wait a minute, I'll get the pastor. I'll get the pastor. So the pastor talked to him. But that was for a testimony for him, for him to hear. Now, what I'm trying to say here is that tongues is for us. But so when somebody comes around and says that it shall cease, it tells us when it shall cease. Everybody still with me? Look at verse, uh, I'm going to read verse 8 again. Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Knowledge has not vanished away. We know that. So when the, when the New Testament and the Bible was finally written and compiled, knowledge didn't vanish away. And I always tell somebody that if tongues has ceased, the knowledge has vanished away. And you don't have any knowledge of the word of God. And you have no right to tell me anything. <laughs> you don't know. So you don't know. I just That's my argument. Everybody with me on that? All right. If you're not, it's okay. Anyhow, he goes on to say here, uh, and knowledge, it shall vanish away. Verse 9, and here's when. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, verse 10, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And when he says that which is in part, that which is perfect is come, he's speaking of the resurrection. The resurrection is referred to in the scriptures as that which is perfect. Now, I, I'm going to have you turn over here to Hebrews for a moment. Look at Hebrews uh, verse 40. This is 1140, 1140 of Hebrews. This is the last verse in the 11th chapter. The 11th chapter of Hebrews is all about faith. It's all about faith. And then when he comes down, when Paul writing here, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. The, the author is not sure, but it has the characteristics of Paul. It goes on to say that, how that many of these people that had faith, they went on down, it goes on down to the end, and it says here, verse 39, all that these all having obtained a good report through faith received not the promise. What promise? The promise of the resurrection. They had not received, they received the promise in word, but not in action, not in deed, not in fulfillment. So they had the promise of the resurrection like Abraham. Abraham believed when he slew his son that God was going to raise him back up. The Bible says that he did. He believed that. Abraham said, the Bible said he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. Abraham, you know, looked for, he knew there was going to be a resurrection. When God said to him, I'm going to give this land to you and to all of your heirs. Abraham said, it can't be for me if I die because I'm dead. So and only for me to have it, I have to be resurrected again. So Abraham came to realize that God's speaking of the resurrection. Job talked about the resurrection. Though the skin worms destroy this flesh, yet in my body shall I see the Lord. He knew about that was going to be. So these old patriots in the Old Testament, they understood and knew about the resurrection. And when Jesus came, he came as a fulfillment to show that the resurrection indeed was real and he was the first fruits of the resurrection. And in the 15th chapter, we'll be getting to that very soon of 1 Corinthians. We're going to talk about the resurrection. Very interesting subject. But let me finish up here in this 
scripture part that I'm reading here to you right now. Uh, I'm reading here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39. I'll read that again. These all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise of the resurrection. God, having provided some better thing for us, in other words, we were to be included in this, that they, without us, should not be made perfect. So we are made perfect at the resurrection. Folks, I'm sorry, but you'll never be perfect in this life. You may, some of you may think you are, but you're not. We'll never be perfect in this life. Amen. But in the resurrection, we'll be perfect because we'll see him as he is. We do not, do not yet know how we shall appear, but we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Jesus Christ, praise the Lord, became perfect in every sense of the word at the resurrection. At the resurrection. Now, you say, well, Jesus was perfect. Yes. No, he knew no sin. There was no sin in Jesus whatsoever. But as the flesh, as the flesh, there's imperfections in the flesh. And I guess, but in the resurrection, he was made perfect. Praise the Lord. The body that Jesus has is perfect. And we'll have a body like as unto his glorified body. So your body will be perfect. Praise the Lord when we get to the heaven. And that's the perfection. Uh, I want you to look with me back over here. Let me find the right verse. I think it's in uh, Luke. Yeah, look at Luke uh, 14, 13, 1332. Sorry for our people up there. God bless those people up there that keep up with the screen here. They're so diligent about what they do and how and swift at what they do. This is uh, 1332 of Luke. And he said unto them, Jesus said unto them, go ye and tell that fox. This is when the Pharisees came to him and said, Herod's going to kill you. You better watch out. You better look out. You better be careful. And they were trying to make Jesus afraid. And Jesus said, he said to these Pharisees, he said unto them, the Pharisees, go ye and tell that fox. That's Herod. Behold, I cast out devils and I do cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I will be perfected. And that was the day of the resurrection when he rose from the dead. He was perfected. Praise the Lord. So I'm just trying to give you scriptures here concerning this perfection of Jesus Christ that the Lord, praise the Lord, uh, was made perfect whenever he rose from the dead. Uh, over in 3.2, 1 uh, John 3.2, 1 John 3.2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and doth not yet appear how we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him face to face. So God is going to give us a, a, a wonderful inheritance from the Lord, just as he rose from the dead and he was made perfect. So the word perfected that we read here in this, the end and the latter part here of 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13 here is concerning the fact that we will see Jesus face to face. So it's speaking. Of, so when that which is perfect is come, there will be no more need for tongues, right? When the resurrection happens, the rapture takes place, you don't need to speak in tongues anymore. Amen. You don't need to have the gifts of the Spirit. You don't have to have a gift of faith. You don't have to have the uh, gift of prophecy. None of the gifts mean anything. Everything will cease except the love of God. And that's when you read, look down in verse 13, the last verse in chapter uh, 13, the last verse there. I'm trying to keep up with the clock here. Verse 13, now abideth faith and hope, charity. These three, 
faith, hope, charity, charity being the love of God. But the greatest of these is charity. So that when the rapture takes place, you don't need any more hope. What are you hoping for? We're there. You don't need any more faith to believe that Jesus is coming back again, that his word is true, that he's faithful in all that he says. We don't need faith to believe that anymore because it won't be necessary. But the love of God will never vanish. And all through eternity, folks, we'll always be so appreciative to Jesus. The price he paid on Calvary, the shedding of his blood, his wonderful love, grace, and mercy, and goodness to us. And I, I just want to tell you here today that it is a wonderful thing to know God and serve the Lord and to walk with the Lord. Uh, if we will pray and draw close to God, he will shed that wonderful love of God in our hearts. And I'm telling you, we are soul winners by the love of God. It's not how you know, muscular or how you know, full of vitality we might be. It is that we can love people. And if we'll learn to love people... Have you ever prayed and asked God to bring you in contact with somebody that needs God? You know, I know a lot. Of, I know a number of you have. I see some heads shaking. You say to him, God, I want you to bring me in contact with somebody that needs you. Somebody that you know is hungry for God. Bring me in contact with them. And let me know that I might be able to witness to them and testify. And then give me the words to say. Help me to know how to talk to them. Help me to know how to extend your love toward that person. I'm telling you, folks, this is a powerful way to witness to people. We were talking about those spiritual gifts and things now. Everybody doesn't have a gift. But if you would pray and ask God to use you in this way, folks, that's, that is a wonderful, what do you want to call it? A gift from God or something. But it's a wonderful understanding about the Lord, and God can put that on you. And you go out and you mix around with the crowd and everything. And lo and behold, it happens. All of a sudden, something is said between you and another person or something, some gesture or some look. And God says, I want you to witness to this person, everything. And if you, we will begin to follow things like sometimes we say, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm too busy right now. I got to go. I got to go. No, no, just wait. Whatever you're busy for, God will put it on hold for you to witness to the one that he said, I'm going to bring you in contact with the one that you've been asking me to show you who needs me, you know. And I'm just telling you, I don't know how many of you were saved like that. There was, if I asked for hands, that'd be some of you that raised your hands. That some of you came to the Lord because somebody spoke to you at the right time. They spoke to you at a moment. Maybe it was in a grocery line at the store. Maybe it was in Sam's. Maybe it was uh, walking through the mall. Maybe it was uh, somebody next door to you. You know, all kinds of places and ways. But God wants to use us, and he wants us to be a witness, praise the Lord, of this world. And folks, the love of God has got to shine forth. It's not a false love. It's not a fake love. It's not trying to, you know, be lovey-dovey. It is just there because we pray, and we love God, and if we love God, we'll love people. And if we love people, we want to reach out to them, and we want them to be saved, you know. And isn't it funny, sometimes the most obnoxious people are the ones that God will save and turn them into a fine, outstanding Christian. Oh, my, it's so wonderful. Praise the Lord. That's two men in this church. And I won both of them to the Lord. They live next door to each other. They hated each other. They lived around the corner from each other. They hated each other. They didn't like each other at all. Everything. 
And I won one to the Lord, and he said, boy, those people are really, they're really bad. They're really bad. Never said anything. What I knew that we had started a home Bible study now in the other house, too. But this family didn't know about it. Finally, one day, they met each other in church. They said, you're in this church? Yeah, I just got in. You're in this church? Yeah. They shook hands, and they're the best. That's been 30 years ago. They're still, they're still in this church to this day. They're some of the outstanding leaders in this church. I'm just trying to tell you, God can save anybody. He can save all kinds of people. We had a, we had a brother in our church that was a minister, and he was a, had been a member of Hell's Angels, motorcycle riders, mean as a snake. God saved that guy. He evangelized all over the world, became powerful soul winner. He knew how to talk to certain classes of people. But I'm just trying to tell you here today, God loves people. And he wants us to be better. I don't know how much time we've got in America. I'll be honest with you. I don't know how much time we've got. But while we have the time and while the light is shining, let's do all that we can to help people find God and be saved. This church is a wonderful environment for people to be saved. They can come here, hear the preaching of the word of God. They can feel the presence of God. They can be under conviction. Altar calls are given. They can come down here and pray. There are people in this church that will pray with you or them, whoever needs the Holy Ghost or needs to be saved. And this is a wonderful place for them to come. Let's say, God, put somebody on our heart. Help us to win somebody. Before the end of the year, ask God to say, God, help me to win somebody to the Lord. Let's stand together and pray and let's ask God to bless us all here right now.